0: Welcome to the podcast service of Sydney's FM 103.2, available on the web at fm1032.com.au. Hello, I'm Kel Richards. Tonight I'm going to talk about a topic that I call plain Christianity. Uh, I, I, I guess I'm a person who likes... The plain things of life. You know, plain, down-to-earth, nitty-gritty, realistic. I think it's a very Aussie thing to prefer things that are plain and down-to-earth and pretty ordinary and etc., etc. You know, the plain people of Australia are the people I think I'd be inclined to trust, quite frankly. And I like a bit of plain talk and that sort of thing. And in exactly that vein, I'm going to talk about plain Christianity. Thanks for joining us. Nice to have you company. Now, if you were listening last night, you heard me tell you the story of J.B. Phillips, who is best known for his translation called... Uh, his translation of the Bible, part of the Bible, called the New Testament in Modern English. J.B. Phillips actually visited Australia uh, on a speaking tour, not sure exactly when, but it was very early in the 1950s. And While he was here, he was asked to give two talks on ABC radio under the title of Plain Christianity. Later, in 1954, those two talks, plus some other radio talks he'd given, were published in a book called Plain Christianity. So, So much of what Phillips said in those talks is really, really sensible, and it's still applicable today in the 21st century. And for that reason tonight, I want to summarise what he said. Phillips began by saying that he was really pleased about the title he'd been given, Plain Christianity, because he said, I am not particularly interested in religious thrills and visions, although I don't deny they have their value, but I am intensely interested in how this Christian faith works in everyday life. Frankly, I'm not a bit impressed by any religion unless it actually works out in practice. But I think the Christian religion does. In fact, I do seriously think that if I were looking for the proof of the genuineness of plain Christianity, I'd look first of all at the lives of plain Christians, which is what he then proceeds to do. He says, uh, this thing does work out in practice. Indeed, although I believe Christianity to be historically true, that is, founded on historical facts, not on a myth or on a series of beautiful thoughts, and although I'd be prepared to argue the value of plain Christianity is the only sane and sensible way of meeting this life and whatever lies beyond it, yet I think what convinces me most is the lives of plain Christians. In saying that, it looks as though Phillips is taking a bit of a wild gamble, doesn't it? I mean, we've all known Christians who were... Well, irritating? Disappointing? Insensitive? Or just plain horrible? So how can he say, how can anyone say, that the lives of plain Christians are the best advertisement there is for Christianity? Well, he insists you can. But just as you wouldn't judge the value of a piece of music based on how it's played by a poor musician or by a learner, and just as you wouldn't judge the value of of painting as an art by the work of a bad painter or a student, In the same way, it's not reasonable to judge Christianity based on the learners, the students who've not been Christian long, or the bad Christians, the ones who act against their own conscience, the hypocrites. Instead, the trick is to take a look at those people who have taken the faith seriously, not solemnly, but seriously, and who over a period of years have worked at living their lives by that faith. These people won't be saints in the way we generally use that word, not plaster saints, you know, not perfect but they will be genuine, and they will have several characteristics. J.B. Phillips said that three characteristics he consistently sees displayed in the lives of plain Christians are one, inward tranquility, two, unquenchable spirit, and three, love. The first characteristic is inward tranquility, as though, he says, the very centres of their personalities were relaxed and at peace. Many of them are busy people with all kinds of responsibilities. Nevertheless, they give this impression that inside, they're at peace. And this is something that is very rarely seen in those without Christian faith. The second characteristic is unquenchable spirit. Christians, of course, never expect and certainly don't enjoy any particular immunity from trouble. But in them can be seen the ability not only to cope courageously with their particular difficulties, but very often to cope good-humouredly, even joyfully. This, of course, is not invariably the case, but it happens often and it is impressive. The third characteristic can only be called by that much misunderstood and abused word love. Sadly, the word love is almost empty of meaning because of what Hollywood and the soapies and pop music have done to it. But there is, in the genuine Christian life, not merely kindliness and charity, but a kind of outgoing love, which really is concerned about other people. This is something deeper than kindness and warmer than charity. And it's a more costly thing than mere expressions of feelings of goodwill. In fact, it's a display of the character of God showing itself in and through normal human beings. So that then is what you'll see in the lives of plain Christians. Inward tranquility, unquenchable spirit and love and they are a definite pointer to something beyond mere human experience. We all know peace of mind when there's nothing to worry about. We all know joy when our surroundings are happy. And we all know love among friends who love us. But in plain Christianity can be seen tranquility that exists in spite of tough times. Joy and good humour in spite of worry and depression. And love not only in a small circle, where it will be returned, but extending to people who haven't asked for it and probably don't even appreciate it. Well now, talking about plain Christianity, our title and our topic tonight, J.B. Phillips went on to admit that sometimes these characteristics can be seen among good people without faith, but he insisted they will not be found in those people and places among whom there's been no Christian influence. Sometimes they'll be seen in people who are reflecting a long-gone Christian influence or who are the product of a Christian environment or Christian family or home or background or whatever. But they inevitably come back to and point to the influence of the Christian faith. Furthermore, there is a real difference between those we would call nice people and genuine Christians, in that the nice people are never really nice enough, not really. They're charming and tolerant and kind, but only within limits. In addition, merely nice people have nothing to offer those who are not nice. They may well behave in a kindly and tolerant way towards selfish people, but they can't communicate with such people the secret of their own niceness. They have no message, no help to share. They cannot, as the Christian can, point to someone stronger than themselves who is quite capable of transforming a disposition and a character. The Christian is someone who knows God through Jesus and has learnt, from Jesus and the Bible and their own experience, how to tap into the resources of God. They can, therefore, at least point the way to a better quality of life to someone who is not by nature a nice type or a good type or even an honest type. The world is full of a kind of infection of selfishness and fear and greed, and it isn't the least bit useful to say, well, why can't you be like so-and-so who's very nice? But Christianity, plain Christianity can and does say a great deal more than that the key is to go back to the source of christian faith jesus who was god fully focused in a human being what jesus calls the wrongdoers the failures the sinners to do is follow me read the stories in the gospels at the beginning of the new testament part of the bible the stories of the people jesus called to follow him and their response When they surrendered to his call and his command and followed him, they found, in their friendship with him, a new way of looking at life and a new way of coping with it. There was and is something transforming about the friendship of Jesus that gives people the power to rise above their inclination to do wrong and their habits and their history and their sins and to become what they should be. What Jesus said on one occasion was that if a person wanted to cooperate with the plans and purposes of God, then they would know by a kind of inner endorsement whether his teaching, the teaching of Jesus, was just his own invention or whether it really was a message from God. Jesus said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, they will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The part of the Bible that tells me that is John chapter 7, sentence 17. In other words, the genuine Christian who is following Jesus feels this is right, this is true, this is what God must be like, this is what life is meant to be. How can this happen? How can it be that ordinary, frail, muddled people like us, dragging with us a secret history of things we've done wrong, can be friends with God through Jesus? How does it work? The Bible says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their wrongdoings against them. The bit of the Bible that tells me that is is Second Corinthians chapter 5, sentence 19. Plain Christianity begins with accepting the claims of Jesus Christ to be God in human form. It means dropping our ridiculous habit of trying to justify ourselves and accepting the reconciliation which Christ has made. And then it means the knowledge within ourselves that we are now inseparably connected with the eternal life of God. So that there's nothing that life can do, nothing that death can do, to interfere with that relationship. Life is no longer a grim battle, or a lonely, joyless journey, but a life lived with the very vitality of God within. Tomorrow night, well, part two of what J.B. Phillips had to say about plain Christianity tomorrow night, at this time, focusing on the question of, can you live without God? If that's a question that you've been thinking about or maybe someone you know has been thinking about, encourage them to listen tomorrow night as we face this question of can you live without God? Okay, here's our thought for the night. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. The Bible says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. Thanks for your company. Till tomorrow night, I'm Kel Richards. Bye for now. We hope you enjoyed this FM 103.2 podcast. To listen to more great audio, visit fm1032.com.au.